everybody welcome to the 175th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in uh beaverton oregon and uh real basketball has happened bro it's pretty crazy bro like besides have you been watching a lot of bla- uh, basketball besides the blazers or has it just been blazer centric it's been pretty blazer centric outside of the national tv games mm-hmm. i had to cut cable and have been using my parents' Comcast login, so shout out mom and pops for uh, for that. So I've been able to watch the TNT games, the ESPN games, but I have not, unfortunately, been able to really keep up with the the NBA league pass, the, the free free trial preview for the week. But you know, I'm always on Twitter. Um, saw that Kyrie and Ja were going back and forth today. Memphis hit the game winner off of a uh, you know Jay Crowder three. So you know definitely staying up to date on you know always checking box scores, always seeing like who's winning. It's crazy because like I'm already rooting for teams to lose for playoff position, mm. and um, it, it, it's it's the best time of the year. You've got college football, which is huge for me right in the thick of things the nba season kicks off like to me the best sports times of the year are october and april Mm. uh so right now just really enjoying the beautiful fall weather and the amazing athletics that that we've got going on Mm. i've 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 watched i've watched a lot of basketball because of daily fantasy like i've seen every detroit game so far this year because andre drummond you know is putting up stats because blake griffin's gone so why would you do that to yourself because Andre Drummond puts up stats, man. You don't need to watch him to know he's going to put up stats. I, I feel I, for your retinas having to watch Detroit Piston basketball, yeah, especially without Blake Griffin. Yeah, it's a lot of Reggie Jackson sucking. Derrick Rose looking okay. Andre Drummond's putting up stats, though. And uh, I'm shocked Marquise Morris is playing as well as he has. But, like, I've been watching a lot of basketball. Like, Carl Anthony Towns has looked fantastic. I know his team sucks, but he doesn't. Um, I've been watching a lot, man. I was pro- I'm probably on my like four to ten p.m. swag type of thing. I I fucks with it, <laughs> yeah, man. And then you know the the hours upon hours of researching, you know, uh, the Spurs are a bad corner, uh, a great corner three shooting team, bad corner shoot uh, defending team type of s- stats. So you know, I'm back in the swing of things when it comes to basketball, and I'm. I'm loving it. I just wish my daily fantasy uh, uh, rosters uh, followed through on the uh, amazing amount of studying I have done. Maybe this, that's this... the problem. Maybe you're overthinking it. And you just need to trust your gut, bro. All right. I mean, this is getting to the nerdiest upon nerdy of uh, topics. So my philosophy right now with daily fantasy is I do a max of twenty entries. So 20 different lineups spread out with a bunch of randomness, so different players, and then unique players. So I, 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 I build 50 lineups and then do my projections and say, okay, these ones won't hit the floor of 300 points. So I delete them. So I have 20 daily fantasy lineups full of different players, different teams. You know, I get like six out of the nine that are, are good, but then, you know, I fuck up on the the the, the players that our minimum price so it's a it's a process just like basketball is a process just like the blazers rotation defense is a process what have we always said (laughs) when it comes to analytics and 
advanced stats. Yeah, they're nice and they're used as part of the equation, but I think you're not fully incorporating the Sage Eye Test into your fantasy lineups. That's my advice to you. Just go with your gut. Say, this this guy's going to get biz. I don't care what the stats tell me. I just got a feeling about it. Some, I mean, hey, when it's, this, when it's this low of games played, absolutely. Like, it's still, using the computer and helping me create lineups is great. I love it. Thank you, all of the wonderful websites I use to, to research stuff. But we started off on a very nerdy tangent that was all my fault. <laughs> yeah, let, let's recap the, the week that was. It was the first full regular season week of the 2019-2020 season for our Portland Trailblazers. Got off to a bit of a rocky start, losing their first home opener since October of 2000. So it had been 19 years since the Blazers had lost a home opener. Dropped it to Denver, 108-100. to 100. Uh, Sage, I honestly thought that streak was going to last my entire lifetime. Uh, but the Blazers bounced back. They knew they had a four-game road trip. And really, when you go out on the road, all you want to do is go 500. If you can mm-hmm. do that, when 30-plus at home, you're on the way to a 50-win season. Well, they did that. They beat the Kings 122-112 on Friday. And then just probably 30 minutes ago, had a wild win in Dallas an arena that has been just a house of absolute horrors for this trailblazers team. It didn't matter if we had the 12 deep blazers in 2000 or, you know, B Roy and LaMarcus, even last year when they were lotto bound and we were fighting for the third seed, they still knocked us off twice. So winning in Dallas, 121, 119, crazy finish. Going to have a lot to talk about with that one. But the bottom line is the blazers are now two and one on the season, but more importantly, two and oh, on this four game road trip sage we talked about this last week 13 of the first 17 13 of the first 20 are away from the friendly confines of the row city so this is stay above water area mm-hmm. territory for the blazers mm-hmm. i mean we rallied when it was most important in two games and that that shows something yeah it was rough for a long time but we got the plays that we needed to do in order to get those dubs, which is the most important thing. It doesn't matter if it's not pretty. If we get the win, it's a winning it's a winning day. But man, what what was it like being at the opening day of the Den- of the Blazers versus Denver series or game, not series? Dude, I don't know if it was because they gave half season ticket holders this game. And usually it's, you know, A and B, A gets home opener. And if you want it, you got to buy it if, if you're B. But for this year, they gave both half season ticket holders this game. You also have your other full season ticket holders there. But I have never seen the arena that packed so early. I got there early to get the game day poster. The fan shop felt like it was Black Friday shopping. Uh, it was just pandemonium. Like there is an energy around this team obviously it wasn't as loud as some of the postseason games were uh this past spring but it was you know i i, I get emotional when, when i'm in the arena and you're starting to see all the flashbacks and, and and you see the the nostalgia the history with the franchise then you see the players come out and you see the intros and it's just a, a really awesome experience to be a part of and uh, to, to be honest, it, it was it was a letdown because the Denver Nuggets, we, we knew this was going to be a tough matchup. 
And we wanted to get this one at home because winning in Denver is tough in the regular season. And in the playoffs, it's a little bit more manageable because you're there for more than a day at a time. Mm. But when you just play there, you know, here and there, it's tough to get acclimated to the altitude. And so to drop that first one, especially with Jokic going out of the game at the eight minute mark of the first quarter with three fouls, um, Portland got up 12 early and I thought they were going to run away with it. But Denver just went absurd from three-point land, uh, 18 of 32. A lot of that had to do with the Blazers overhelping mm-hmm. uh, the first real game they've played with one another, and Denver just shooting the lights out of the basketball. The following night against Phoenix at home, Denver couldn't throw it in the ocean, and so you're just going to have some of those nights. And so just it's never as good as you think it is. And it's really never as bad as you think it is mm. either. So that's kind of after a night's worth of sleep, that's kind of how I felt about this game. Uh, to be perfectly honest, Denver doesn't scare me one iota. If it comes to the playoff time, we've already proven we can beat them last year, even if they have home court advantage. So when you have a veteran laden team and you have leaders like Damon CJ, and you're going to get Nurkic back, the Blazers don't necessarily need home court advantage like they did maybe when they were less talented. I mean, they they have a really strong roster right now. They've been playoff tested. It's it's not quite to where you're the Lakers of Shaq and Kobe and the Warriors with Steph and Clay and Dre, where you know they can win literally anywhere. But these guys have been through the ringer. I, I trust them on the road. They know when to turn it on. You have two superstars on your team. Uh, so this one was more just like, okay, let's shake it off. There was a lot to to like about this game. I mean, we absolutely destroyed them in the paint. Uh, it was a pretty damn good opening act for Hassan Whiteside, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I want to talk about first stage. He was the, the big question mark uh, going into the season, but he played 26 minutes, didn't play down the stretch a lot, but I, I think we kind of touched on this. It could have been because of his ankle, and he could have looked uh, a little fatigued down the stretch and Jokic didn't play hardly at all in the first half. Yeah, so he, he was raring to go in the second. He had a lot left in the tank, but you look at us on six of seven from the field, four of four from the foul line. He said he put in two to three hours every day with lethal shooters and it paid off. We saw it tonight with two clutch free throws in the fourth puts up 16 points, 19 boards and two blocks. Uh, Sage, I don't know if we could have asked much more from an opening night performance from Hassan, and I think it's really only going to get better once they really start to gel with one another. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing that we and most Blazer fans commented about was 26 minutes. Why was he out there? When, why was he on the bench when the Nuggets rolled their traditional 4-5 lineup and we ran four guards and Zach Collins? Was there a minutes restriction? And if there was, why did Terry Stotts want to go four guards when we there? It was the traditional lineup. It like it would make more sense if we brought a big in just to match up body for body. Because one thing I've noticed with this team is if Hassan Whiteside rotates and uh, does like a jumps and tries to get a block. We're not getting that rebound because we are supremely undersized most most times. So to make a conscious effort for us to go small when a team's traditional in the last five minutes of a game was kind of kind of shocking to me, especially when it's on so good. 
Absolutely. And I do think it had a lot to do with Hassan's minutes restriction. Maybe Terry should have managed that a little bit better, knowing you want to keep your guy at the end of the game. What I questioned the most, I, I would say, was that second quarter. And that's really when Denver went on their run. He went full bench. And with this bench, you never go go full bench. We saw him try to experiment with it last year. And to give him credit, he has already learned from that mistake. I don't think we saw much full bench against the Kings, and we didn't see it at all tonight against Dallas. In fact, even in the fourth quarter, Dane played the entire third and then came back with about nine minutes mm-hmm. left to go in the fourth. The bench, it just isn't there yet, and I think we're going to have to take baby steps with them. Uh, Anthony Simons had a really good game against the Sacramento Kings, looked a little hesitant against Denver in the opener, and really outside of that three over Porzingis against Dallas uh, was was a non-factor. Uh, Hazonia, Bazemore, Tolliver, they, they just didn't get it. They all had it. negative performances. They just didn't get it going in the opening night, and that's when you start to look at the stats and say – Okay, Kent Bazemore, he's not going to go one of seven from the floor every night. He was missing makeable shots. Mm. That could have been first game jitters because he's so juiced to play for his team. CJ goes five of 18. I mean, I I don't think he's going to have too many more of of those nights. I mean, obviously, we saw him really bounce back the second half of Sacramento and then the entire game against Dallas. So Mm. to me, that was. And I'm not trying to discredit Denver because they're an incredibly deep team. And I think the addition of Jeremy Grant was fantastic. But in a way, it was a a little bit of of a fluky loss, just given everything that goes into it goes into an opening night. And I'll take my chances with the Blazers outscoring him in the paint like that. And I think we're going to get better on our defensive rotations. But um, it's it's tough when you put your put your thoughts on a certain performance on wax. And it's like Terry Stotts, in my opinion, had bad rotations that day. And people think of it as he has bad rotations all the time. No, that that was the floor. That was the floor game is in regards to rotations. I think they'll always get better, but I think that there was a, it, it, it was, it was bad, man. It, it, Size matters, man, and it'll always matter in basketball. Why not put Scal in instead of one of those two undersized small forwards? You know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Just because we're critical of a player or a coach, one, doesn't mean we think they're bad at what they do or need to be replaced. It's just basic observation. We're just saying, hey, that wasn't the best or that could have been better. In general, Terry Stotts is is a top 10 coach, and I think he's – He's already made a lot of adjustments going into Sacramento and Dallas. If you look at Anthony Tolliver, Tolliver, excuse me, in particular, he plays 13 minutes in the opening night and only attempts one three-point shot against Sacramento. He his minutes go down to 11. Again, 0 of three from downtown. A lot of those were forced attempts. Yeah. And then he plays just three minutes tonight in Dallas. Dallas goes on a 15-0 run during his time on the court. Uh, he doesn't get up another shot. He has not scored at all and through three games, but you've seen Terry not just throw him out there just to say, Oh, we're, we're going to get you going. No, he's saying, okay, I need guys who are going to get us buckets because the Western conference is so tough. We just don't have the luxury of, you know, here's five games, here's seven games to, to get your feet going. No, we got to We got to get guys who are, when they're called upon, they're ready to produce. And Sage Anthony Tolliver is a player who, 
could find himself out of the rotation in pretty soon, barring Zach's not hurt too bad, and we will get to that. And once Pau Gasol returns, and when Nurkic returns, like it, it's just a little. I guess frustrating because we were both pretty stoked about Anthony Tolliver, but he just, he doesn't look like he has the juice. And when he is shooting, they're, they're forced attempts. And so. But whose fault I, is that for the forced attempts? Is it Tolliver or yes, is it absolutely. the guards no, giving it, it to Tolliver. him in this shitty situation? He, I, I none, don't of have, the, none of them were against the shot clock. It was him saying, oh shit, I've been in the game for 10 minutes and I haven't shot the ball. I got to put it up. He has had a couple of looks where he just didn't shoot the ball or he's not ready to shoot the ball. I, I don't know if it's a confidence issue or he's already feeling pressed, but it's on Tolliver. Like you're getting minutes, go out there and make yourself open or say, Hey Dame, like once you're on that pick and roll, I know they're going to double you. I'm going to pop to the corner. I, I he, think he's that... an extremely intelligent basketball player, mm. but you can't have a shooter who doesn't shoot. That does absolutely nothing for us on the floor. We are essentially playing four and five. When he's out there, I, 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 there have been some very bad rotations from Anthony Tolliver and I, I get it, but there are some rotations where I'm like, uh, especially the Kings game first, his first rotation. I think Zach went out and he went in and there was a bunch of talented scorers on the floor. I think it was Dame, uh, CJ hood, him and Hassan. I don't want him to be a very aggressive shooter. Because there, there, there's a lot of, like, I think there's times when he should be aggressive and a lot more times because he, in his rotations, he's the first one in, Zach's the first one out. And I think that's just so Zach can go in as Hassan goes out. So I think it's like a three minute rotation. I don't want someone that's hungry as hell trying to jack up shots. Like you said, he's a smart guy. So I want, because I've been seeing stuff on Twitter and you texting me about Tolliver sucking, that I... I just paid attention to him. And I was like, in that first rotation against the Kings, and I know I'm picking just a five minute stretch. He didn't, he didn't irritate me the way that a lot of he's been irritating others. If there's a lot of skilled players on the floor, he look, he's ready to shoot and he's there on defense. Now he, he didn't get the ball to shoot. And we can talk about Dame's really low assist numbers coming out of the year. But I don't think he's as despicably bad as everybody. He had a really trash game today. I don't think he's despicably bad. I am saying that we signed him to be a shooter. And you're absolutely right. I don't want him coming out to be a Tim Hardaway Jr. Tim Hardaway Jr. basically cost them the Mm -hmm. game tonight in Dallas. What I'm saying is I envisioned him being almost like a Robert Ory on those Rockets teams or with those Laker teams where – you are playing with talented players. I want him to play with talented players because the defense is going to leave you open mm-hmm. and Dame or CJ are going to, are going to find you. I, I don't know if it's an acclimation period where it's just taking a little bit of time and that could be it. But another thing that, that does bug me is, okay, you're a shooter, you're not shooting or your shots not falling what else are you doing to help your team? He has one total assist in three games and two total rebounds in three games. Uh, I just need to see more from him. And again, he's not the reason we lost mm-hmm. or he's not the reason anything and, is going and, and wrong. he's a $2 million player. We, we exactly. have way more stuff to worry about. But what I will say when I was watching him, he, was, he wasn't overhelping. He wasn't uh, falling for fakes. 
he was playing good solid defense and it's hard to track those measurables when it's yep, right. not not biting on a fake or not overhelping. So he did play in my opinion satisfactory defense in the one rotation that he played with the Kings. But in that second one those four shots really tanked what I thought of as a you know what that was a fine performance from a $2 million player. I, I don't think we'll ever see him do any high. He's not a high usage guy. And I think for this team, that's perfectly accept, acceptable. It's been rough, but it, it, I wouldn't give up on him, especially since we're so light in the ass in bigs. No, and you're 100% right. We can't give up on him. And I'm not envisioning him being a high-usage player. I remember when, when we had James Jones for one season in 2007-2008. He came in in spot minutes, but he shot the ball, and we got him looks. And maybe that some of that's on Dame, CJ, or Penny, and maybe some of that's on Terry for not drawing up those plays because you know he's supposed to – be a threat and maybe he is you know i haven't had the luxury of going back and rewatching games so maybe the they help missed defender, him a lot I, and maybe the help defender is staying on him and that's why damon cj are having such good starts to the season um so yes there is a lot of basketball left and i know i like to get you know a lot of animation and worked up but i i just if terry is gonna play him like a sixth man and he's been coming off the bench but it isn't six man minutes it's the first game man. was I don't even count that first game because it was a shit fest and I don't want to rewatch it. <laughs> but he played, he was the first one off the bench and I think it was for Zach Collins rest issues, not because Anthony Tolliver is so good. And he was the first one back on the bench. So yeah, he played sixth man rotations, but it yeah. was not okay. minutes. Cause I think they would rather go small than play him in a place where it's just so negative for Anthony Tolliver to be in. <laughs> That's fair. He only played 13 in, in, in the opener. Because okay. Hazonia outplays him. Hood outplays him. Uh, Hood's Kemp, starter. True. Kent Bazemore outs, uh, like he's, he Yes, he is first off the bench, but he is not, in my opinion, what our sixth man is. That's yeah. Kent Bazemore with, like, that. Kent Bazemore in gold, man, is our sixth man. It, Anthony Dolliver is just someone that spaces the floor and doesn't absolutely kill you defensively i guess it was just frustrating oh, after yeah, that I mean, after that night you go back and you see damn anthony only had 12 minutes scal had had eight and six only got 10 minutes well that and then, i mean then you and then you see a, tolliver's line and he's like 13 like what what I what's mean, going on here that anthony can only play his minutes and i'm I, i'm sounding like a humongous anthony's tolliver support i don't care about this the the 13 spot minutes that he gets probably will be more but, oh, man, you got to experiment. He's a vet. Dude is a veteran, and Scal's still a young buck. He doesn't have— And Scal's outperforming him. Absolutely, but Scal—I mean, Scal, I think Scal's also be put in a way better situation for Scal. I mean, if you're, if you're a stretch big and don't get the ball very much, what can you possibly do? But you got Scal, who's in the dunker spot, getting rebounds and dunks. I mean, Scal's putting up numbers, and I like that, but— I think it's unfair to say to, for all the Tolliver hate. I mean, it's just week one. We'll continue this conversation over the course of the next week. I weeks. mean, yo, we need Tolliver. If if that injury to Zach is anywhere serious, Tolliver's going to play more minutes. 
That is a very good point. But before we get to tonight's win against the Dallas Mavericks, let's talk about Portland's first win of the year. Uh, it was a 10-point win in Sacramento. Dame looked unreal. Uh, 35, 5-5, five and five, 3 steals, 12 of 20 from the field. Had those two just dagger threes, one mm. from the logo. I mean, you got Hassan tapping the wrist, Nurk tapping the wrist. We got shooters. My God. I mean, Dame through three games is just – if you look at the, the, the stats, I mean, he is going to be in the thick of the MVP voting if he's able to keep this roster in Western – in home court advantage mm. territory. You know, we've talked about Zach. Nurkic is also a ways away, and – I think we saw our first testament to how serious the Blazers are taking the season on the road trip so far with Dame just basically saying, I'm not letting us lose in Sacramento. And then he comes out after only having two points, you know, CJ was shining and that's totally fine. But what was so beautiful about Dame and CJ in the second half in Dallas was they both cooked mm. and I was, t- my mom was like, you know, Dame hasn't really done too much. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but you know, CJ's going off and it's kind of hard for both of those guys to, to get going at the same time. And I felt like, you know, shit, I, I've said that all throughout their tenure together. Like they were so good in the playoffs because they both were in sync. And then you see Dame, I think he scored the first Portland points mm. 10 in a row uh, to start the third. And you knew he was just going to put his foot down and then the defense had to watch him. Okay, now CJ, it's your turn to get biz. That's how dynamic duos mm-hmm. are supposed to work. But if looking at that Sacramento game, I just thought, what a great way to get your first win. Set the tone for the season. Dame has came out and, I mean, we're going to need, I mean, he's going to be, I think, leading contender for first team all, all NBA, especially at that point guard position. It is wide open and... He gets 35, CJ pours in 19, and I, I just don't know. I was listening to uh, Jason Quick's podcast uh, from the Rose Garden on my drive home, and he made a, a very valid point. Damian Lillard may not be the most valuable player in the league, but I don't think he I don't think there is a player more valuable to their franchise than Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. For what he does on the court, off the court, I mean, we're basically asking him to be a leader and just, okay, we're going to take this guy who's had issues elsewhere. Oh, c- come to Portland. Dame will work with you. He's going to be great. He takes care of the first, the, you know, the first man of the roster, the 15th man of the roster. And we've heard about his stories with Luis Montero, you know, driving him to practice. I mean, he just is everything. And I, I just don't think we can thank him enough because if we are to have the season that we want to have, he's going to have to continue to play at this high level. And frankly, he is right now. And there's just a calming demeanor about him. And and I know that's strange to say after he's been in the league for seven years, but maybe it has to do with the fact that we saw it come to come to fruition throughout the playoff run. And, you know, even though we were down 19 and, you know, the maps kept coming back and then we came back and they bust the lead up to 14, it just felt like we were never out of the game when Dame just kind of put his foot down to start that third. I mean, I yeah, think there, that's there's a safety for him. That is what a true superstar does. And that's what the Lakers had when they had Kobe. Like they were never out of the game when Kobe was was in there. Mm. I mean, that's what LeBron gives to, you know, the Cavs and, and the Heat Jordan. I mean, you just have this guy that says, it's all right. You know, especially 
especially when he's 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 been there through through thick and thin. He's he's seen the the highs and he's seen the lows, but he just he's like Brandon Roy always was. He just stays even keel, and I think the players just really feel at ease. When, yeah, when there's they know. a safety. It's a safety thing with Damian Lillard. Um, I mean, he's been absolutely. Those second halves, man, have been awesome. Like two points this half, I was like, "Oh shit, we're, we're gonna need him. We're gonna need him to step it up scoring wise." And I, didn't he do a similar thing with the Kings? Didn't he, pour, he? I know he poured on in the fourth quarter when we really needed to step on their necks. But I think he also went kind of busy in that second half. I, th- I feel like the first half, if what we can say in this small sample size is CJ kind of gets his in the first and then Dame third through fourth kind of it gets way more aggressive with with his shot and his drives I mean do you remember the time where he got double teamed he let them touch the ball he picked it up and went for the layup like I guess third and fourth quarters is now Dame time and CJ is the first through first and second to really get his uh points and what I really liked so far, and you know, I know there's a lot of concerns about the defense. I, I am one of those proponents of being, you know, concerned about the defense, our defensive rotations. But if you look at the team individually, I mean, I think you go up and down the roster, you know, Dame, CJ, Zach, Rodney, Hassan, Kent, Anthony, even Mario, even Scal, they've had really strong moments to start the season. Mm. And individually, you like who you have on your roster. I mean, to have a guy like Rodney Hood, who we just basically ran the offense through to start the, the Dallas first, game. In the first quarter, it was Rodney time. Didn't he get 12? Yeah, he had 12. He had, I believe he had 20 for the game, 8 of 12 uh, from the field, 3 of 3 from downtown. You know, you're getting six rebounds, two steals, and a block from Rodney Hood. And it's just so nice to have a supporting cast. And then you look at a guy like Cam Bazemore, hits a big three in the fourth quarter, chips in 11. He has five rebounds against the um, Dallas Mavericks, and he plays a fantastic game. He had nine points, eight rebounds, five assists, two blocks on seven shots against the Sacramento Kings. Individually, we like what we have. We've got our superstars. We've got a big man in the middle. We've got a supporting cast. We've got wings who are active on defense. It's just going to take some time. Especially on defense. To be a collective unit Mm -hmm. and – Yes, defense should travel on the road. I mean, offense is always going to be a little bit hit or miss, and defense should be consistent. But they haven't even found who they are defensively Mm -hmm. as a unit. And I think it's important to look at this Blazer team, both individually, because you have to have the parts that you'd like to see. The puzzle has to come together. But then as that holistic viewpoint of saying, okay, I I really like this, this mix of scoring, defense, size, spacing, same type of personalities, same type of aggressive hustlers. Okay, yeah, I like what we have. And it's just going to take a little bit of time. It may even go through the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. I mean, Damon CJ have been playing with each other since 2013. I mean, Zach Collins, this is his first year starting. Nurkic has only been with the team since 2016. I mean, or 2017, excuse me. So there's just a lot of new faces in a lot of big roles. It's not mm-hmm. like we're just bringing in a lot of role players and that's why I think these wins early on, especially on the road, are going to be so valuable come postseason time. But 
you know, I really do like what we have individually. I think I, I would say we, we both would say our biggest concern right now is on the defensive end. Oh, of the absolutely. Floor. Yeah. And I think the defensive rotations, and I was telling this to Olga as I was watching the Dallas game, it's not like we weren't trying or giving the effort. We just weren't using our heads. Mm. We would fall for every single pump fake because we wanted to make that block or challenge that shot. You know, Zach Collins was really the only person not falling for a pump fake. Mm. Uh, We would have two guys come and chase shooters off the lines instead of just running up to them and say, hey, make that shot. Mm. You're not Luca. You're not Seth. Go ahead and shoot that ball. I don't care. But no, we were so over aggressive. And sometimes we would help when it wasn't necessary and it would get us all out of our rotations. I think that comes with chemistry on the defensive end. You have to know the strengths and weaknesses of the other four players around you and say, hey, Dame just got beat off the dribble. I'm on the wing. I need to stay with my shooter because I know Hassan or Zach are going to clean it up. Or even just say, hey, tip of the cap to Dallas. I need to let you guys have that too. I can't give up a three. I mean, it's almost like a quarterback when he's determining, okay, do I just need to take this sack or do I need to try and throw the ball and make a crazy play, which could result in interception. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to kind of pump the ball and sometimes you have to play aggressive. And I think it's just going to take time. Um, I don't see anything where I'm just like, oh, you guys got to get out on shooters. Hassan a little bit, but that's also because Terry wants him so far. Yeah, that, that, that's the scheme right there, too. That's the scheme right there. And But other than that, I mean, they're, they're busting their ass. If you watch Bazemore, especially in that Sacramento mm-hmm. game, he is just everywhere. And that's we went on a 17-2 to two run, and I tweeted out, this is what this team looks like when we're clicking. Mm-hmm. And it was scary. I mean, you had Bazemore playing the passing lanes, helping out, getting back to his man. He was throwing lobs to Hassan Whiteside, which I haven't seen the Blazers do on that type of action since it was like Dame, Smitty, or Pippen throwing it to Sheed as he just kind of rolled off of him. Mm. I mean, you saw what Hassan could do. Penny was playing, uh, looking extremely confident. CJ got going. Dame got going, hitting the logo Lillard shots. You had Rodney getting his biz. And Zach holding his own down low, playing fantastic defense. I mean, the teams were just clicking. And those are good signs to look for. We may not win a game, but as long as you can point back and say, okay, there was a stretch from here to here where I really liked what I saw. And honestly, through the new year, that's how we're going to have to judge this team. Mm. Obviously, we're judged by wins and losses, and that determines our our fate come April. But to get us to where we want to make our run – Post All-Star break, we have to see these flashes of brilliance. And to me, that's important that we have seen them really in all three games. I think a a, a big thing with the Blazers is they're hyper-aggressive. And I I think it's one of those things that's know your personnel, know who's on the floor. You don't need to be hyper-aggressive when it's uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. You can let him shoot. So I think it's just reps as a unit will help them. Because if it, like, yeah, you should fly out at Luka Doncic. You should fly out at Tim Hardaway Jr. if he's on fire. You can let Dorian Finney-Smith shoot. You can let some of these players shoot. So it's like, it's kind of like a know your personnel thing. It's like, okay, when Luka's driving really hard, we probably should build a wall so he sees people and then passes it out to a non-factor. So, but it will get better and they will start doing the know your personnel type of type of defense as well it's it's game three of 82 hopefully a lot more than 82 it just takes that time of 
we need to be on the floor together. And defense really is trusting somebody. And it's hard to get trust in, you know, if you hang out with someone 30 times, you don't trust them to go through your phone. 82, it's 82 dates that you're much more likely to hear check type of type of thing. It, it's, it, it's that trust factor. But I do I mean, like I, that they're running. And I think you are hundred percent on, on point when you said know your personnel and I'm, I'm, we're so used to watching games from a regular season point of view where it's like, Oh, why are you leaving Finney Smith wide open for the three? But when you have, when you're playing against teams who have two superstars and Dallas does in Doncic and Porzingis <laughs> who were cooking, you have to flip that switch and go into playoff basketball. And the Blazers, I, I think are going to find success if they do that. And it basically boils down to, I'm not going to let Luca and I'm not going to let Chris Stapps beat me. I'm going to send some help. And if Finney Smith hits a couple of threes, okay. Salute you know, and game four, you know? Yeah, we're going to move on. That's what your highest probability to win a game is going to be. It's not going to be on rotating and so Finney Smith can kick it back to, to Luca for a three or leaving Seth Curry open. Like you have what to. What did we do to Al Farouk? What did teams do to Al Farouk? They let they him just, shoot. They let him shoot. And. I think we're going to see a lot of playoff basketball from this team. And we saw it tonight in Dallas. Um, as we mentioned, Portland gets the the huge 121-119 victory. Terry Stotts played Dame 38 and CJ 41 minutes. Obviously, you don't want to wear them down over the course of 82, but he knows – these games are probably a little bit more valuable earlier on because of who we don't have. Mm-hmm. There is so less of a margin of error. Do you think right it, now, if Zach was healthy, do you think they played those minutes? I mean, I don't think Zach had any impact on on on, on that game in terms of Dame or CJ. I, I think, but it does it it ruins the margin of error. I think, and it it that. does because he is a defender and mm-hmm. he is so we need to give score you, more. He's going to give you possessions back, but I, I think the way that game was ebbing and flowing, it was such a roller coaster that Terry didn't feel comfortable coming back from another basically valley. Like mm-hmm. we we were peaking, and he wanted to keep it going. Yep. And I thought it was an incredibly smart decision to play Dame with nine minutes to go in in the fourth. Mm. If he if he can if he says I got you, it, it play him. I, I have a question. I mean, we've, we're going through a kind of high variance streak with our defense, and uh, you agree that this this makeup of our new guys has a higher ceiling than our old makeup of guys, right? I, I would put a caveat by that, just because when we acquired Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor at the buyout, Hood was was via the trade and Nurkic was playing healthy. I think that team was okay. Well, I, I mean, yes, Nurk. Yes, yeah. Okay. So that that's where it, it's a little tough to say because I mean, my God, I mean, we we basically were gifted Ennis Cantor, and I would say I like us much more now at the beginning of this season than I did at the beginning of last season, and that's just because I can see what this team is going to be. I think the I think, old regime has a higher floor but a, a lower ceiling. I think that this current iteration of yeah. the Blazers has a higher ceiling. And if, let's say, Nurk comes back and gives us good minutes, 
it's a much, much higher ceiling. But yeah. Absolutely. I, mean, I do think the Blazers, they're going to have to be aggressive at the deadline. I think they're going to need to pick up another vet like Rodney Hood. And I do think they're going to need to be beneficiaries of the buyout market. Mm. You know, just watching this team through three games, I would say what they need the most. I don't think they need necessarily, you know, a Blake Griffin or, or a Kevin Love. I, I really think what they need is that three and D stretch four, like a guy like a Jay Crowder. I mean, that's my prototype to have backing up Zach. I mean, I think that's where we obviously need big men who can, who can move. Zach's really our only, you know, post player that can play out on the perimeter. Mm. I mean, honestly, a consistent Alfaru Camino is who I'm looking for. Obviously that wasn't chief's strong suit and there was too much high variance, but I do think if we are able to just make a couple of tweaks, get our vets at the deadline and the buyout market, this team is, I think, leaps and bounds ceiling-wise mm. better than last year just because CJ, if he's rounding into playoff form like he was at the end of last year, obviously Dame is continuing just to impress year over year, which is incredible. You're getting an extra year out of Zach Collins, an extra year out of Anthony Simons. Bazemore looks revitalized and rejuvenated. Rodney Hood, same can be said for him. We don't have to worry about Mo Harkless, Evan Turner, and Alfred Camino on the offensive mm. end. Mm -hmm. Yes, they may be collectively as a unit a pretty solid defensive team, but as you mentioned, that that ceiling on offense just drops down so much, and Damon CJ, we rely on them even more with those three mm. on the floor because you don't know what's going to happen every time they shoot the ball. I mean, you switch those guys out with uh, a Zach Collins, a Kent Bazemore, uh, a Rodney Hood, all of a sudden you're like, yes, I want these players shooting the basketball. This is going to be a, a solid outcome for us. And I, I, I think the Rodney Hood that's entering today is a lot different than the Rodney Hood that got traded to us. Absolutely. I mean, a training camp with us is huge. Like, he gets to spend the entire offseason with Damon CJ rather than an expediated run in the playoffs. So I, I think like, yeah, like everybody is in a good position. I think that, that our guys now individually, a lot of them are really good defenders. It's all about that, that time together. I, I bet in 16, our guys kind of suck defensively. Actually, I remember complaining about how they suck defensively. It takes time to learn each other. So I, I think, I think Neil made a good decision in getting away from those guys that have became just like stagnant, uh, stagnant on the team. Yeah. Before we talk about the Zach Collins injury, I want to point out two things. One, it was an atrocious first half of basketball defensively against the Dallas Mavericks. Portland gives up 40 in the first quarter, 71 total, but over quarters three and four, Portland held Dallas to 24 points in each quarter. I thought they played much better in getting a hand up on shots. The open looks were limited. I think they got a lot of ticky-tack fouls called against them. Uh, Dallas, we won this game with Dallas shooting 53-point shots and 41 attempts at the line. They had 15 more attempts at the line, and Portland also held them to 13 of 50 from the three. Mm. So... I think the Blazers really picked it up from, 
I think an intelligence standpoint, I saw them not fall for as many pump fakes, but they also picked it up um, from an intensity standpoint. Mm -hmm. Dame, even Anthony, CJ, they were running over screens to keep their man close to them. Also, my second point, big shout out to Scalabissier. He came in for Zach Collins and I thought played just marvelous defense on Chris Stapps Porzingis. In his six minutes of action, the Blazers were plus seven with him on the floor. He had uh, four points, two of three from the field, three boards. And I just thought we needed him and he cleaned up the mess a little bit and really kept us afloat. And that's the whole theme of this first Mm -hmm. half of the season is just stay afloat. And we're going to need a lot more from Scalabissier because Zach Collins in that third quarter went up for a rebound and looked like he dislocated his uh, left shoulder. Uh, The team has not said any more other than he's going to get an MRI on Monday. So he's probably definitely out against the San Antonio Spurs. Sage, what do the Blazers, where do the Blazers go from here? Who's your starter? Is it a game by game basis? Uh, Obviously we're down Nurkic. Obviously we're down Pau Gasol. The bigs have been our weakness so far in terms of our depth. We lose our starting power forward. Where does Terry Stotts go from here? So there, uh, it's what we think and what Terry thinks. I bet Terry goes Anthony Tolliver to start games, and then they finish with a with Scow getting more minutes. But I bet you Tolliver starts those games because he's a vet, and for whatever reason, I think Stotts trusts him a little bit more. But I bet he will be quick to pull Tolliver and put in Scow. And stay with Scal if Scal's giving him what he needs. But, I mean, it's three legitimate... We have three bigs now, right? Unless you want to say Hazonia's a big. I, I think that's... So that was going to be my next kind of counter was... I, I honestly would like to see maybe Mario either start or, or finish the game. He played pretty dang good defense as well. He's bulky enough to stick with a guy like Doncic, but he's also tall enough to affect a couple of Porzingis' shots. And... I don't know if it's going to be a straight. I don't know if it's going to be a a straight like, okay, this person you're starting now um, like it was when Nurkic went down and they just just moved Ennis into the starting rotation. With Hassan being such a matchup dependent big at this point in his Blazer career, I just think Terry's going to have to adapt and kind of play field by field. Maybe he starts the same guy on a nightly basis, but I think we're going to see a lot of different finishing fives. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We could see us go small with Dame, CJ, Rodney, and Kent, and then you put your big of choice there. Or you could see us go, you know, Dame, CJ, either Kent or Rodney, and then you got two bigs, whether that's Anthony, Mario, or Scal. Uh, I just think it's going to have to be on a game by game basis. But again, if we're looking at players who I thought played pretty well, uh, Mario Hazonia takes a couple of oh no 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 shots he's kind of my new Alfred Camino when you never know where you, what you're going to get from him but do you trust him a little bit more than chief though a little bit um but i was also thinking about who we're playing cuz i i know spurs i know the sixers those are two pretty biggins when it comes to their bigs so i i, I was thinking the zone you could not you couldn't stay without horford he couldn't if if the spurs are rocking Lamarcus and Pirtle, uh, you don't you, you don't put Azonia in because for this week and I I can't predict in the future of how long Zach's out. Tolliver seems like the guy when we're going against so many traditional type teams with 
two of the three, I think, this week is the Spurs and Sixers having traditional Al Horford types. And then maybe I, I would trust Azonia against Gallo against OKC, but I, I, I would imagine that Tolliver gets the, the start. And maybe that's what Tolliver needs. Maybe this is what kickstarts him and he becomes a viable option off the bench once Zach returns. I will say this. I think it is going to be a pretty big blow if Zach misses extended time. And by extended oh, time, sucks. I mean five plus games. Um, hopefully it's just, you know, let's pop his shoulder back in. Hopefully it's nothing with the labrum. That could be really bothersome. And we could be in oh shit mode because yep. – as good as Porzingis was, Zach Collins played about as good of defense as you could ask. He's been hitting the three at a decent clip. He's just looked more confident. You don't feel scared with him on the floor. Uh, he's our best defender on the perimeter for a man his size. And it's just going to be really even more of an onus on, on Damon CJ to, again, keep us afloat and, and really – Again, if we can come out of these first 20 games, 10 and 10, and then you get Zach Collins back, you just have to take it. It's not going to be pretty to start off the season, and that's why it was so needed to come back 19 points to beat the Dallas Mavericks, a team that looked really strong to start off the season. So, Sage, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we will get right back into the thick of things. We'll do a couple of dribble pass shoots. We'll preview the next three games and we'll we'll wrap things up all right everybody welcome back to the holy backboard podcast dustin and sage here ready to dive into week two but first sage drill pass shoot damian lillard will win the mvp uh i pass it i i i don't think the blazers are popular enough to to get i bet he gets votes i bet he gets votes i don't think he gets it Fans ain't voting for the MVP. True, but I, I would, I would imagine that it goes to. I mean, it's it, going, it's, it's going to no one in the Eastern Conference. I, no. I don't care what stats somebody puts up. You are playing in that trash ass Eastern Time Zone, Eastern Conference with nobody but two teams. So fuck out of here with that. First of all, it depends on how. I mean, it to to take your 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 swipe at MVP three games in. When there isn't that much information, I I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't think he'd get it. But there's so much time left in the season for me to change my mind today. But if you were asking me, game three of the season, October twenty seventh, I don't think he gets it. But I bet you do. Yeah. And here's why: I actually do think he will win the MVP. I think the season is shaping up for a narrative to tell the rest of the media, the rest of the league. And that's really all what MVP is about. Generally, the MVP is the best player or at least a, a top three player, but there's always a narrative about why this player should win. And with Russell Westbrook winning it that year, it was like, okay, Kevin Durant leaves. He, he leads his team to the playoffs, averages a triple-double, the first player to do that since Oscar Robertson. And that's a great story. Dame's going to have a great story to tell if he can keep the Blazers within the top three or four of the Western Conference, especially without Yusuf Nurkic and now possibly without Zach Collins. And he's putting up these numbers on a nightly basis. He's putting up MVP type numbers. You're looking at 30 plus points, 
nearly seven assists a night, uh, five boards, and he's hitting big shots. He also has highlight shots. He is logo Lillard for a reason. Everyone knows when it's Lillard time. And you look at his competition. I'm already discrediting the Eastern Conference. I know Giannis is a freak, but it's really a two-team race out there. So he would have to go super nuclear for me to vote for him again just because of what he's going up against on a nightly basis. And then you flip the script and you look out west and you see, okay, who could really challenge him? It looks like Russ and Harden could split votes or it's just not going to be – I don't know. I think people are have seen what James Harden could do, and I don't think it, it's wowing anybody anymore. And then you've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George with the Clippers who looked you know, fantastic their first two games. But Paul George is out for a little bit, and then Kawhi is going to take some load management. And so when you have two great players like that, it's like, mm, are you – you know, who's really the better player? So in a sense, like the Heisman, they could split votes. I think it's going to come down to Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic. Okay, yeah. Both players are going to have a chance to lead their teams. Dame has a better story to tell because he's doing it with an injured roster at the moment. And then you look at his competition at the point guard position. Steph Curry is looking abysmal. The Warriors have not led for a single second this season and have gotten blown out twice. It doesn't look good for the Golden State Warriors, and he would have had a story to tell if he could get, you know, a team without Andre and Kevin and Clay and Boogie and get them, you know, to a high playoff seed. But again, three games in, I'm calling my shot. Dame time. I think he wins MVP. What about gonna... LeBron and AD? Again, that's a that's a they team split. that I did forget. But I think it's it's another it's another scenario like Houston and mm. the and the Clippers where. Honestly, I think LeBron is going to be a little bit passive this oh, year. Yeah, and they're, going to, they're going to try to force feed Anthony Davis. And, you know, AD is a fantastic player, but I, I just don't know if I would call him the best from, from what I've seen throughout his career. Um, he's, I just like, don't... he's like Calvin Johnson. He might physically be the best, but did Calvin Johnson win a Super Bowl? I mean... It's all going to come down to winning. And if the Lakers are four or five, you know, and they stay healthy throughout the whole year, to me, that that's not an accomplishment. If you're supposed to have two of the top five players, like you got to dominate. And, you know, that's kind of what you're seeing if you follow, follow college football with Clemson. They're the defending national champs, but they're kind of sleepwalking. They're best players throwing interceptions. And you're like, hmm, are you really, really the best team? I mean, we know you can be, but we're not seeing it. And I think Dame is going to be a guy that says, hey – I'm playing 82, knock on wood. I'm not taking nights off. I'm not load management, any bullshit. Like, I'm going hard for my team, and look what we've accomplished. I mean, we want to talk about the Warriors this year. This is a big year for Steph to prove he's still elite. We saw the roster that Dame carried to the playoffs in 2016 with all that turnover. Steph's got enough talent. If he's as good as advertised, he'll he'll find a way. So I, I really don't want to hear none of that hit, look at his roster nonsense because Dame's been doing that year over year, and Neil finally got him some help last, the last couple of seasons, and we've seen Dame continue to elevate his game. So I'm going to continue to be on that Dame bandwagon. Absolutely, and as you should be. All right. What, what, uh, dribble, dribble pass shoot. Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic – can coexist with one another. That's tough. That's tough. I pass that. 
I gotta see it. No, you mean you dribble that. Passing it means you're saying they can't coexist. Man. There's a few factors that you, in this scenario, that you would need to tell me. Okay. What's Hassan's salary? I'm talking about for this season. They can coexist. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking in the future. Because this, to me, is the million-dollar question surrounding the Portland Trailblazers. Where they are at come the trade deadline. Hassan's playing well so far. I've been extremely happy with what I've seen. But Dame even mentioned, I think it was an interview. Um, I can't remember where it was. But Biggs kind of are a little bit of prima donna. You got to go out and kick him in the butt sometimes to get him to work. And he's mentioned Nurk and, and both Hassan. Obviously, mm-hmm. both came with, you know, kind of attitude problems. And he's turned them, helped turn them both around. But why this is such an important question for me is when Nurk returns, whenever he does, it's not Yusuf Nurkic. It's half of that or even a quarter of that. He needs to build his way up. So does Neil gamble and say, we're going to trade Whiteside because we know we have Nurkic back and we're going to fill a hole elsewhere? My thinking is they probably keep him because you need Nurkic. I think they keep him as well. You need Nurk insurance. And then we're going to have Hassan's bird rights. So – this to me is more of a question for next offseason, but I just wanted to kind of get the pulse of it as we okay. go through the rest of the season and say, hypothetically, I mean, we're going to see them play together at some point, again, knock on wood throughout the course of the season. But do you think those two can coexist, not on the court together, but just in the same locker in room? In the same locker room, if yes. If one I... person is starting, if one person's finishing, like, do you think Dame has got that magic in him to make that happen? I think for this year, I think uh, yes, because Nurk knows that he's not Nurk of last year. And Nurk also needs a lot of coddling to say, hey, big man, you're our guy, you're our it, franchise yeah, you center. Can't, you can't be saying that and then give Hassan a contract, a big contract for next year. But in this scenario, I think for this year, yes, that they can. But in the future, that's TBD based on a lot of things. I it, if Nurk proves to us that he he's going to return in twenty twenty one that that year fully healthy, I I would peace out to Hassan just because there needs to be that one dominant big man on our team. But for this year, I shoot that just because of necessity. I'm leaning towards shooting and shooting for the future. And I say this because of how well Ennis Cantor and Hassan Whiteside worked together last year. And Nurkic I know and Has- uh, Nurkic and Ennis, not Hassan. Yes, yes, correct. I think it's going to be up to for it to work. It's going to be up to the coaching staff to identify roles. I think you have to really ask Hassan in the offseason, hey, you know, you performed well, but this is going to be your role. This is a salary we can offer you. I just think having two big men of that caliber and also realize this, if we do keep us on through this season and going into the next offseason, we don't have that 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 trade asset. We don't really have any cap space unless we let all of our expirings go. And so it's going to be on Neil to say, hey, what's what can we get versus maybe maybe keeping us on? And so I'm I'm leaning towards saying that they can coexist just because of how incredible Damian Lillard is. But again, it's just a question I want to continue to check on the pulse over the course of of the regular season. I shoot for this season. I pass for next because if Hassan's putting up the numbers that you and I think Hassan's going to put up, 
some teams giving him a lot more money than what we can offer or would feel comfortable paying the center position. But I would also counter that with Rodney Hood taking less to stay here. Hassan's Mm -hmm. been paid. Hassan's been in situations where he really hasn't been loving his basketball life too much. Yeah, he was living in a great city. Yes, he got the max amount of money, but what is money when you're not happy? I mean, we've seen guys just literally get revitalized in in this culture. So all I'm saying is it's early to tell. But never doubt the culture that this franchise if, currently has going If Neil has can pull through. that off, he's getting like a five-year extension from me if I was the GM. Like, though, if he could sell Hassan on, you're definitely, without a doubt, the number two center and will never start. Here's, here's X amount of dollars. And Hassan signs that dotted line. Neil O'Shea goes back to like 2K15 version of him, in at least in my eyes, because I, I think Hassan is going to get a big ass salary. All right, the last dribble pass shoot, Sage dribble pass shoot with the Warriors looking abysmal early on. It'll be the Dallas Mavericks that grab their playoff spot from last season. Man. I think Luca's good enough for that to happen, but it's based on Luca's and Kristaps' health. I think they have the best chance because of how Golden State looks currently. They might flip it around. I don't know. Zion being hurt, Drew Holiday currently being hurt. If Dallas is the most healthy team out of those three, I bet they do get it, but it depends on health. So right now, I shoot it, but. If, you know, if if one of those big two gets hurt, it all falls down. I, I agree with you there as well. I, I think Dallas is the, is the best bet. Um, I'm going to dribble this one for, for a second because I need a bigger sample size. Oh, yeah. From, I mean, we're, all, we're in small sample size detail. From the Golden State Warriors, but Zion's not coming back anytime soon. When he does, maybe he ignites something in in that roster. But, you know, Porzingis looks healthy. Luka is already a walking triple-double. I mean, that team is going to be a problem for years to come. Is uh, is uh, Luka the best, like, young player in the NBA? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's almost – he's probably a top 15 player already in my mind. I mean, he – he gets dimes, he gets points, he shoots really well, he hits threes, he rebounds. He does damn near everything on the court. He produces a lot. He reminds me a lot of LeBron James and just what he does for his team. Yeah, he he, he is that type of producer. You've got that size, handling the basketball, making smart decisions. He's so unselfish, and I think Porzingis is going to flourish, and we saw that tonight. And Carlisle's a damn good coach. I think once they start to build up that roster, I mean, Dallas is a team to watch in, in the future. They are going to be scary good. Sage, let's talk about the upcoming week of Trailblazers basketball. Right now, I am, for the first time in Holy Backboard history, going to attempt to keep track of our predictions. Oh, God. So, so <laughs> last week, I had Portland beating Denver, beating Sacramento, and losing to Dallas. I had you had 3-0. Portland going 3-0. and 
So currently you are up 2-1. I am at 1-2. Oh, shit. Our our three games this week, Monday night in San Antonio, Wednesday in Oklahoma City to wrap up that four-game roadie, and then 70s night on Saturday will both be in the building against the Philadelphia 76ers. Sage, let's kick things off. Let's kick things off uh, against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, what is Portland going to be looking at here, especially without Zach Collins? Shit. All right. Uh, oh, goodness. I paid for a service, and I forgot what it was called. That's not good. Um, I looked at this earlier today. It doesn't matter. Um, Spurs are the uh, Spurs shoot the most mid-range jumpers and make the most mid-range jumpers. They're very good from the corner three. I'm looking at stats from this year and last because they haven't really made that many changes outside of DeJounte Murray. Um, Last year, they were a god-awful team at defending the corner three and threes in general. So I think that our guys like a Rodney Hood, a Kemp Bazemore, a CJ McCollum are going to have very good days against the Spurs. Zach Collins being out definitely negatively affects us because of who's going to guard uh, LaMarcus Aldridge now. He might, he might, with how we defend, he might have a really big game. And when we played against the Spurs last year, it seemed like Evan Turner went rogue from the scheme to double. It wasn't a, a conscious double. I feel like Evan Turner made the play. So it, it's tough to to really project who defends LaMarcus. And if if it's Hassan, I feel like LaMarcus might go past him. I just don't think this, the coaching staff wants Hassan to be out of the paint that much. So I think LaMarcus might have a big one. Well, the paint is going to be, I think, open for the Spurs. But they have uh, a lot of shooting on that roster, especially when you've got a guy like Derek White and Patty Mills coming off the bench. They are 2 and 0 in the season. They have played two Eastern Conference lottery teams at home. Uh they've scraped by the Knicks by 9 points and barely beat the Wizards by 2 points, giving up 111 against the Knicks and 122 against the Wizards. So the Blazers should be able to get biz on the offensive end of the floor. Obviously, it's going to come down to how they defend the Spurs. The Spurs have actually gone small this year starting Trey Lyles and LaMarcus Aldridge. I think this matchup is a little bit better for Portland because when Portland had success against the Spurs last year, it was when Nurkic was guarding LA and we didn't have to double. When we went a little bit smaller and had to double LA, it just opened the floor up for their shooter. So I think if Hassan can keep Marcus in front of him, make him take those tough contested shots and this will be a little bit better for Hassan because he doesn't have to chase LaMarcus out to the three-point line like he did a Jokic or a Porzingis. Uh, I think the key to this game for me is going to be that Blazer bench unit because Damon CJ played damn near 40 minutes last night and they're going to have to go hard again against the Spurs Look for Anthony Simons. I think he's going to kind of be a little inconsistent to start the year, but I think we're going to get a nice night from Anthony Simons against their backup guards. And you mentioned it. I think we're also going to get a really nice game from Rodney Hood. He has had an incredible start to this season. I think Dame and CJ are going to be a little bit too much for this Spurs team to handle. I've got the Blazers winning another close one. What say you? Who's your X factor and what do you got, bud? Blazers three-point shooting. Um, 
I know small si- small sample size theater, but right now the Spurs are the second worst team at defending the three point line. They allow holy shit. And an astounding number of threes from the corner three. Sixty-two percent three-point percentage from the opposing uh team from the three-point land. Or from the corner three, and then forty percent from the field from the opposing team uh from everywhere else in the corners. They don't defend the three-point line well that well. So I feel like that is a big uh uh that is a big factor in the game. So I think if the Blazers get it on a three-point streak, they're going to force them to react, and then that opens up the lane even more for the Hassan Whitesides to get his dunks and Dame to drive. So I think the three-point line is a big factor. I do think the Blazers win. Excellent. Moving on to close out this road trip against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, It's an OKC team that is a a new cast of characters. They start two point guards in their backcourt, CP3 and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They've got a traditional big in Steven Adams, but that stretch four in Danilo Gallinari. They had a big surprising win today over the Golden State Warriors, leading by, I think, 42 at one point, but ended up winning by 28. Uh, So they are one and two on this young season having also played the Jazz incredibly tough in Utah, losing by five on opening night, and then losing by 12 at home against the Washington Wizards in their home opener. Sage, what should we expect? How are the Blazers going to defend this OKC team that doesn't seem to have the three-point shooting that would seemingly give our defense problems? Holy shit, I just looked at their three-point shooting. It's atrocious. Um... They shoot 27% from three this year from all three-point areas. Um, Have you watched them yet this year? No. Okay, so Chris Paul's Chris Paul. You know who he is. Uh, I just know that Shea's been getting getting biz. He's been getting buckets. He had, uh, the facilitator role is Chris Paul and then Dennis Schroeder. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been more of the scoring type, and that you run a th- uh, three guards. So it's Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And that's a pretty damn good uh, guards. Uh, it seems like this team is built on Chris Paul having the ball and doing what Chris Paul does. He has a really high usage rate. There isn't that many people outside of Shea Gildress and I guess Daniel Gallinari that will take point uh, the ball away from him. So I feel like this is just a Chris Paul team and uh, as far as usage and production wise. So I think Dame outplaying Chris Paul, and then us. Uh, hold it. And I, I think a big thing is let these guys shoot because they're really trash at shooting currently with their roster. They are very good at mid-range jumpers, but they are trash at, uh, at threes. So I would let them shoot those threes and... and uh, uh yeah so let them shoot threes their defense let's see how it is very good at stopping the three very trash at uh defending mid-range jumpers and i know this is a small sample size but this team is so different you can't use last year's numbers as a projection yeah to me my x factor is Hassan Whiteside. this is a tailor-made game for him to go up against another bruiser in steven adams 
we saw last year in the postseason where Enes Kanter was able to play him to a standstill and even in certain instances have the upper hand. Hassan, when he's on the floor, makes an impact. Mm-hmm. If we can get him the ball, have him just dominate the backboard, I think the backboard is going to be the the deciding factor. Obviously, if they can't shoot well from three and they're throwing up a lot of bricks, we need to really defensive rebound and keep them from only having single possessions. And uh, I think the Blazers go 4-0 on this road trip. I think Hassan is going to have a similar performance to what he did opening night and against the Sacramento Kings. And Portland really, really packs the paint and, and just dares OKC to beat us from downtown. I think this may be Portland's best defensive performance from the season. They just look they looked locked in on on the road. And I'm really excited to to welcome them home Dribble on, pass on Saturday. Shoot. Dribble pass shoot. Hassan White says plays more than 26 minutes. I'm going to dribble it because I think it's going to be right at 26. Okay. I would shoot it. I think they have to have him play 30. I mean, because then you also look. I mean, they're, they're only other bit. Unless OKC wants to go Gallinari and Muscala as their as their post players, that's the only way you can really maybe get Hassan out of the game because mm-hmm. Nerlens Noel is not going to not gonna take any shots outside of that that five foot restricted area. So that's what I have for the X Factor. Who do you have, Sage, and who do you have winning this one? I would have us um winning the game. I think we have a I think Damian Lillard dominates the uh the ball and gets us the uh the win. Because it seems like Chris Paul is one of those dudes that motivates Damian to play that next level harder. So I think that that makes him just go super Saiyan in the second quarter instead of the third, and we win. All right. Last but not least, it will be 70s night, Saturday night in Portland as the Blazers take on the 76ers, fitting as the Blazers won their only championship in 77 against Philly. Sage, you and I will both be there. It is just a quick stop in Portland before they head back out on the road yet again. Uh, early on, the Celtics are 2-0 on the season, a 14-point victory opening night against the Celtics, and then a six-point victory without Joel Embiid on the road in Detroit against the Pistons. To me, this game hinges on Joel Embiid's ankle. Ankle. Yeah. I mean, is is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Uh, also, Zach Collins. I mean, this is a really difficult matchup. On paper, Philadelphia has the most talented roster in the entire NBA. That starting five is made for NBA 2K. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sage, what what do the Blazers do here? This feels like this could be a difficult opponent, but if they play their cards right, they could come out with with a with a big victory because obviously what the Sixers you know have in size and star power, they do lack in outside shooting. Yep, that I think that's the key right there. They're they're really bad offensively at, from the from the three i mean just think about who's on the roster especially if jojo's out i mean it's ben simmons who i mean there's been jokes made about how ass he is from three josh richardson's average uh it's really mike scott and tobias Tobias, you gotta worry about yep and if you if you say to whoever's guarding tobias don't help what do they do i i think that you incentivize the three-point shooting defensively i i haven't watched them as much as i would like but when i do watch them they are very scrappy 
they will lock you up the full court lockup. Like Josh Richardson, Ben Simmons are very, very scary. And then like again, if JoJo's playing, it makes it a lot worse. But that this team has so much talent. I mean, the starting five, they just got Al Horford. They didn't need Al Horford. They just got him because he's the one guy that locks up Joel. Like this team has so much talent. And Matthias Thibel Matisse Thibault out there like this team defensively is scary. I think the one thing the Blazers can do is incentivize the three-point shot. Unfortunately, I think the Sixers win this game. Yeah, to me the X factor in terms of of a player, it, it's going to be Anthony Simons. I think we're going to need to see a coming out performance in order to win this game, especially if Damon CJ do what they do. Just because even if Embiid doesn't play, Horford is the type of big that could give Hassan Whiteside problems. And if we're without Zach Collins, that's going to be a a tough task. I also really think Portland needs to decisively win that three-point line. Mm -hmm. If they just get hot from three like Denver was on opening night, they could win this game. Um, But like you, I I do think Philadelphia wins this one just because they have so much size, they have so much length, and – we just don't know the status of Zach Collins and it's, it's going to be tough. It would have been tough to beat this team with Zach Collins, but possibly without, um, I think it's just asking uh, a little bit too much, but I would be honestly thrilled to be four and two Mm -hmm. after that performance with all four wins coming on the road. Uh, Philadelphia is no joke and there's no shame in, in losing to them. But again, if you force them to hit the three and you're making the right shooter shoot, Anything can happen, but I think we both have us going two and one on this week. Sage, I think it's uh, time to wrap this bad boy up. Where can our listeners find us at if they're not already subscribed, which you should do? Absolutely. Uh, So we are on iTunes. If you have yet to give us a five-star review and a nice – five stars and a nice review, please do. Those really help with – the itunes algorithms and we want more people to listen to us and if you're not on itunes we are on stitcher google play himalaya podcast nothing but net radios tuesdays 2 to 3 p.m pacific 5 p.m eastern we are on blazers uprising on youtube so you can see the whole youtube video of us talking and you get to see all the cool blazer shit in dustin's house and then you can see the one pink painting in the far right of mine uh, <laughs> and I, I think that's it uh thank you all for listening you're a real one if you're out here right now and uh we will be back we will be back next week and talking about the potential three and a week let's get it rip city wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night everybody let's